Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you gotta decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? So hi, welcome to this Kermode on Film podcast. We're joined uh, again this week by Jack Howard. Jack, Hello there. welcome to the podcast. Um, so the thing we're going to talk about this week is something that I've been wanting us to do for a while, but you needed to revisit all the films. And it's a, it's a series of films that spreads out over a number of years, and I have no idea what you think about them. So today we're going to talk about the Unbreakable trilogy, or as it's also known, the East Rail 177 trilogy. And you've gone back and looked... It's not as catchy as the Cornetto trilogy. I, yeah, I actually quite like the East Rail 177 thing because it makes it sound... Well, let's let's start at the beginning. I remember really clearly uh, when Sixth Sense came out, which was M. Night Shyamalan's breakthrough film, and suddenly everybody was full of, you know, he's this great new director, he's this brilliant screenwriter. I remember doing a piece for... Um, a radio station about how if, if a script had a twist that was the kind of thing that people remembered the script and there was a lot of talk about how great the script for Sixth Sense was although it was actually it's a really well directed film that thing when, when you go back and you do the revelation incidentally there are going to be spoilers all over the place obviously so, yeah so let's start by we saying we can't talk about M. Night Shyamalan thi- yeah the thing in the Sixth Sense when you realise that he's dead <laughs> when it goes back <laughs> and it all works you know he's dead she's a ghost uh, all that stuff um, Darth it, it, Luke's father it, it, yeah exactly <laughs> It does all fit together beautifully. So after um, Sixth Sense, there was this great sense of what is Shyamalan going to do next? And what he did was made this film called Unbreakable, which was nothing like the hit that the studios wanted. But even at the time was the one that smart critics, in inverted commas, said, actually, this is really great. You're certain you were in the passenger car? Yeah. Where are the other passengers? Your train derailed, took a curve too fast. The second train collided with yours after it derailed. The debris spread over one mile. Why are you looking at me like that? There are two reasons why I'm looking at you like this. One, because it seems you aren't the only survivor of this train wreck. And two, Back then, Unbreakable was a standalone film. It has subsequently become the first film in a trilogy, and there's a lot of kind of backstorying about whether this was always intended, or, you know, we all know from the Matrix films, they were always intended as a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But over a course of decades, it has evolved into a, a trilogy. So 
I have always thought that Unbreakable was arguably Shyamalan's best film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I'm and I'm actually really. Are you fascinated one of the smart the critics? Well, that's why I say in inverted <laughs> commas because it's all, that's also synonymous with being a clever dick, isn't it? You know, it's like have you ever played that game, Smart? No. Okay, the reason I say it in that voice... Sorry for podcast listeners, I just looked at Mark Gunnell yeah, yeah, yeah. there for okay. a second. So the reason I say it in that voice, because this is, this is important, is um, there's a guy who writes for The Guardian, John, who's a, a political writer who I know very well, and um, he's a very sharp guy. And we used to do uh, the uh, news review thing together. You know, late review, the thing that was on after, at the end of the 11 o'clock news, yeah. like a panel discussion thing. Anyway, we were at Cannes, in Cannes one year, and we were doing, uh, doing the programme from Cannes, and John said, have you ever played the smart game? Which is that's how he says it. And I said, I don't, I don't know what it is. What is it? And he said, it's the, believe me, it's the most irritating and most addictive thing you will ever do. He said, it okay. is also the most middle class thing <laughs> you will ever hear in your life. And okay. here's how it goes, okay? The smart choice is, uh, who's your favourite Beatle? Uh, probably Paul McCartney. Okay, that's the wrong answer. Okay, so but that's fine because that's so the smart answer, and I'm going to say it in that voice every time is George Harrison. Yeah. Okay, you said yeah because you kind of understand why it's George Harrison. I understand because okay, it's, fine. it's the sort of yeah. the hipster answer. Exactly. Got well, it. yes, and in fact, weirdly enough, when this thing started, this was before hipster. So now describing it as the hipster game actually probably does adequately <laughs> describe it, which makes it all the worse. Okay. <laughs> But it was one of those things when it's, it's, it's meant to be the answer that makes you go, oh, actually. You I know, see what so, you mean so, 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 there. Exactly. Right. So it's not the obvious one, but it's the... What's oh. the best Shyamalan film? Somebody goes Unbreakable. Unbreakable. And you're like, oh. oh. Actually. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But the thing is, what's, what has to happen is that you do it in a group in which everyone goes, oh. And that's the smart answer. So and then you just got one guy going, "No, you're all exactly, wankers. exactly, <laughs> exactly." Stop doing it. This is so middle class. My head is going to explode. And then the other classic one was, "What's the, what? This won't work for you." What's the best Dexys Midnight Runners album? I don't okay, even know fine. what that is. Exactly. So this, the 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 correct answer in the game is "Don't Stand Me Down" because it's the one that. Oh, really? Okay, right, fine. Okay. But the that jo- was all a foreign language fine. to me. So. When we get to Unbreakable, it was, in the worst possible sense of the word, the smart answer to which is the M. Night Shyamalan film that you, that you really like, because it's the one that made people go, oh, really? Although, actually, I think, arguably, my, my friend Bob McCabe actually argued that Signs was, was actually the, the real so, underrated one. Y- my so, comedy partner, Dean, loves Signs, okay. because Signs made him love movies okay. oh, well, there which we is very interesting like that that's the film yeah. that made him go oh my god like. well then I suspect that science may actually be coming the smart yeah. answer yeah. so firstly you hadn't seen Unbreakable before because when it came no, out I had, you were I, oh you had no, I, mean, I had then. seen it I saw it when I was a teenager when I was just starting to get into films right and basically I was going through Wikipedia and looking at like directors right, and right, looking right. at all their back catalogue okay. and then I loved The Sixth Sense. I'd watched The Sixth Sense a, a couple of times uh, and I still think it holds up. I think it's brilliant. It's great. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and it's become obviously like entwined with pop culture that Bruce Willis is dead at the end of it. But it is really smart and it's like a Ritz man. Nah. And, it's re- <laughs> and it's really, and it's really like um, well conceived, I think. And, yeah. it, and it's the sort of twist that within a movie doesn't feel contrived. No, it's satisfying. It, it, yeah, you it go, really is. Oh, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And it, when you watch it a second time, you do get a different experience watching it. Okay. Because, yeah, I, I think it's really good. You know the accident up there? Yeah. Someone got her. They did? 
a lady. She died. Oh my god, but you can see her? Yes. Where is she? Standing next to my window. Oh, you're scaring me. They scare me too sometimes. Um, I watched Unbreakable for the first time and really hated it. Oh, right, okay. Because I didn't get it at the time. So how 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 old were you then? How long oh, ago was this? I've got, I've got to say I was probably about 16 or okay, 17 fine. when I watched it for the first time. Yeah. Um, and I watched it for the second time uh, this week. And I was surprised at how much I remembered. I was surprised okay. by how much of it stuck in my head. Like I remembered the the flowing camera work that happens, yeah. particularly on the train at the beginning when it's sort of like between the the uh, the chairs and it's going between Bruce Willis yeah. and that that woman. Yeah. Um, and so, then I remember the restaurant with um, what? Who plays his wife? What's hang, 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 just 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 for anyone who hasn't seen it. Yes, the setup is okay. essentially. Well, this is going to be spoilers all the way through. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. But Unbreakable is about a man played by Bruce Willis who is on a train that crashes and he's the only survivor. Yes. And so there starts to be a belief that he might be some form of superhuman man. He might be indestructible He somehow. might be indestructible because you didn't break one yeah. bone. You didn't have a scratch on you. Such a great delivery yeah. from, from that actor. Um, so that's the concept. And his son really runs away with this idea and really starts to believe that his father is the coolest man in the world and, and is absolutely the next Superman. Um, and over time, over the course of the film, we're questioning whether or not he really is or isn't. And then it turns out that he really is an indestructible man. Um, and the whole thing was planned by Samuel L. Jackson, who has been doing mass atrocities um, across America, it seems, yeah. to try and find his opposite because exactly. he is a breakable man um, and he's trying to find somebody who, if he if he's really weak, he's, he, he believes that there must be somebody who's really strong. But his superpower is that he's super smart. But the thing is, this is my big, this is the thing we should talk about across the trilogy. Fine. He isn't. In, in Glass, they reveal that he's super smart, and in Glass, they reveal that Bruce Willis's character is super strong and can break through metal and things like that. Right. Whereas in Unbreakable, it's, all, it's always playing with metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turns out that Sam Jackson is just insane. Yeah. And Although ju the phrase just insane sort of understates what he is because he's just insane, but he's right. Sure, he's right about Bruce Willis, but yeah. he's been... Uh, committing atrocities across the world. Yeah, no, sure. No, there's no, there's no question that he's, he's insane. He's not super smart. He's not like a master manipulating sort of... Okay. He's not a... You know, it's not a huge plan that no. he's had. Okay. He's just been doing this because he thinks there must be somebody who yeah. would survive. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. The Egyptians drew on walls. Countries all over the world still pass on knowledge through pictorial forms. I believe comics are a form of history that someone somewhere felt or experienced. Then, of course, those experiences and that history got chewed up in the commercial machine, got jazzed up, made titillating cartoon for the sale rack. This city has seen its share of disasters. I watched the aftermath of that plane crash. I watched the carnage of the hotel fire. 
I watched the news, waiting to hear a very specific combination of words, but they never came. Then one day, I saw a news story about a train accident, and I heard them. There is a sole survivor, and he is miraculously unharmed. The key thing with Unbreakable is that it is a film about the idea of comic book superheroes set in the real world, set with an ambiv ambivalence about whether any of this is real or any of this mm -hmm. is, you know, okay, he walked away from the train crash. It happens. Mm -hmm. And we've seen other films in which people walk away from air crashes and similarly have, you know, delusion. But that is an idea that's been explored elsewhere. Yeah. But it does the thing that the Jim McBride Breathless was doing with the Silver Surfer. It's taking the, the comic book mythology and putting it into the real and doing that kind of what if thing. And, uh, and nowadays, since all, I mean, you are much more well versed in uh, comic book uh, superhero movies than I am. But that whole postmodern, you know, self-reflexive stuff, for me, I hadn't really seen it before mm -hmm. Unbreakable. Yeah, for me, that one that I think as well, I think does it better is Kick-Ass. And I think that... Yeah, but many years later. Many years yeah, later, yeah. but I think it does it better. Because I think that the strength of Unbreakable is that it's about a man who is unbreakable yeah. and is also emotionally invulnerable yeah. and won't open up. And it's really a character drama about a man who clearly at the beginning is having struggles with his relationship. He takes off his wedding ring to flirt with somebody else. Yes. And you find out that there's something that's happened, but you don't really know what, and she's willing to try again. And his son really wants his attention, but he doesn't really know how to talk to him. Yeah. And it's about a man who's emotionally invulnerable, becoming more vulnerable as time goes on and sharing stuff with his son. And I think as the trilogy goes on, that idea becomes less interesting and almost dismissed because it becomes, no, no, it's all literal. It's all completely literal. Oh, okay, 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 and okay. I sort of find it less interesting okay. because in Unbreakable it feels like this tiny little character drama movie yeah. that also features superhero stuff. And I think where I start to lose it in Unbreakable is towards the third act where it becomes Bruce Willis goes and touches people in public and then follows a guy home and, and, some, and, and can read their minds yeah, and, and understands and, and their fingers. And then he saves... He becomes uh, a vigilante character, yeah, but he's, it, the, it becomes, he's the avenging angel, but also the, yeah, the saving grace angel. And it becomes yeah. sort of like really melodramatic and it's all it's all very slow and the music's very self-important and it's it's just very, oh, we're just doing this now. Okay. Like, it, 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 it sort of becomes less about the story and more about like, but now he's a superhero. Okay. And so when you in say, a really melodramatic way. So when you say the first time you saw it, you really hated it. Yeah. Now, this surprises me because I can understand some of the things Luke Because it's really slow. It. It's really slow. Okay, fine. So and it's character driven. And when I was a, when I was younger and getting into movies, I, that wasn't, I wasn't ready for that yet. Okay. So, so when you say you hated it, I mean you were bored camera. by it. Yeah, I was bored. Okay. I wasn't understanding any of the nuances. Like all the conversations, because I was taking them all at like surface level, yeah. none of them really meant anything to me. Okay. So like even the interpretation of like uh, the, the struggles within the family, it wasn't really clear to me, I think, when I was when I was younger. I was just looking at this like one take, very weird use of camera, and I was like, this is annoying. Like, <laughs> and okay. I wasn't really get, uh, responding to anything properly. Okay. Whereas this time I was taking it all in, um, obviously, because I'm actually an adult, despite what Mark <laughs> says, um, and enjoyed it a lot more. But then as it went on, I sort started of, it, to lose it. When it started to tone shift okay. is when I started to become less interested. Okay. And it started to become more about something that I didn't think it should be about, okay. just from a All personal right. perspective. So this is going to be interesting when we talk about Glass, because I think the third act of Glass is really interesting in comparison with the third act of Unbreakable, okay? So Unbreakable comes out, doesn't do particularly well. A lot of people like it. 
then that's it. There's then years and years and years in which... 16 years. 16 years. But the crucial thing for me with Split is I didn't know that Split was part two of the trilogy until the end of Split. Yeah, you just and thought this you, was like another... Yeah, another Shyamalan film. Shyamalan because movie. Shyamalan had had that weird period in which his, you know, he had made his career, he had torched his career with The Lady in the Water. He'd made some staggeringly bad movies... Um, he'd been given the opportunity to direct huge blockbusters. Yeah, and he'd made messes of them. Really terrible And he'd also decisions. done that really odd thing in Lady in the Water, casting that character as the really nasty, narky film critic who then gets, you know, what, and everyone going, hang about a minute. The f- critics have been really nice to you. Why are you and picking them? And then casting cast himself, himself as, as the, the writer genius. who's going to save is, us was, all. I know, which was the, I mean, and it is true, I do think that, Shyamalan's cameos in his own films are fairly unforgivable yeah. but that is I am literally going to cast myself as the voice as of the God on one. Earth the best one <laughs> of all of them I am the, and, and I remember reviewing Lady in the Water and saying it was like watching somebody sitting in a cinema pouring petrol over their head and setting fire to themselves in front of everybody else <laughs> because it was that bad I mean it was career endingly bad and then he had this kind of strange resurrection with The Visit. Suddenly he was making lower budget movies. He teamed up with Blumhouse. Uh, Blumhouse, who were known for, you know, knocking things out really fast, really cheap. So he'd gone right back to his roots. And I wasn't a fan of The Visit. I, I found no. that it was like another found footage There's movie. There's nothing special about it. Although I know some people who really, really do like it, including Mark Miller, mm. who wrote Kick-Ass, which you cited earlier on, he thought that it was a really interesting film. And I think he saw something which I didn't see because the next thing... Yeah, but Mark Miller also liked Kick-Ass 2. So... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's fair enough. You you win that round. Um, So then we get to Split. And so... I see Split not knowing that it's in any way connected with Unbreakable, which is the thing I've always held up as Shyamalan's best film. And I find Split a mixture of annoying... um, theatrical overplayed I think James McAvoy is great I can watch James McAvoy in anything and as a showcase for James McAvoy doing 15 di- I mean a split personality role is always one of those you know, look at me yes, I can you is. know I'm, I'm, I'm a woman I'm a young boy I'm a dog I mean it's like a drama class film yeah. isn't it it's like I can do all these things and he can do it brilliantly and um, but it did feel like a a huge contrivance yeah. and it's all about this character who is inhabited by all these other characters and they're all waiting for the arrival of the beast and I felt that when it finally got to the beast at the end it was sort like oh, underwhelming yeah it's like really that, yeah. that's oh what? you couldn't afford yeah, a so, beast <laughs> so, you, so you just did that <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't like the film very much until the very end when suddenly Bruce Willis turns up in the cafe and you go, oh. <laughs> That's it's, the twist. It's part, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> twist is you've just reminded me of the film that I really liked all that way back.
I still don't like Split. Yeah. I still think that McAvoy is terrific. I think the film itself is... I mean... Oh, for it, those people who haven't seen it, tell us what it's about. Okay, so essentially you have one character who is full of other characters. So there's kind of... Um, it, a, there's a possession motif going on. Mm-hmm. Um, that this, this character is uh, kidnapping people... And he's kidnapping them because they are there to feed the beast which is coming. And there are a series of different characters in this split personality. And he's being psychoanalyzed at the same time. And there are different characters who come forward at any, at any one time. And there's an overarching character, the Wendell Crumb character, who is sort of somehow in the background of it all. And then there is this coming force, which is the beast, which is who has sort of supernatural powers in the same way as the, or at least this is what the characters keep talking about and they're all having internal arguments with themselves who gets the light who gets to stand in the light who gets to be the character and so it's you know it's and there's a psychiatrist who's trying to prove that the split personalities are not just the same person with a different voice yeah. but they, they are, are very actually different, different people, people. So, and so they have different needs and some people have diabetes and yeah. some people so it, yeah. it it is like a possession motif and of course actually it does refer back to um, if you if you look back historically at the cases of demonic possession, th- there are cases in which Here people we have, go. Uh, no, no, but I, I, I'll, I'll be quick. <laughs> in which people have 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 exhibited split personalities <clears throat> that have different physical requirements. So, for example, one personality can play the violin. Mm-hmm. Another personality can speak high German, and this is the, the case of the Watsika Wanda, which is, which is the most sort of famous of these cases. It, whether you think it's demonic possession or whether you think it's something completely different, which I think it's not demonic possession because I don't believe in demonic possession, but that idea about characters existing so strongly that they actually physically change the the nature of the, of, of the people they're inhabiting. So that's what's going on all the way through. I thought you were going to mention the exorcist there. That's I know, and, that, and I didn't. Is that, right, so okay. just to say, you see, you see, <laughs> you can get to. cocky, but I don't need to. I just put it out there, and I just walked away from it. But thank you, because it means that you're the person who brought it up, however long it is. Into the, I have taught you well, young Jedi. Um, so it's that, and it's there's a bit of Sam Fuller's shot corridor, and there's a bit of the ninth configuration. I mean, it's it's all the film because, of course, since you mentioned The Exorcist, thanks for bringing that up. Bloody hell. Um, Shyamalan is a huge fan of Blatty and of, of, of Friedkin, you know, and so there you can see that he's watching this, but I just thought it was a contrivance. Yeah, um, I thought as well <clears throat> that it had hints of Sons of the Lambs. I thought that, um, especially aesthetically, like being in a dungeon like that and also the way that he uses the point of view camera quite a lot of the yeah. time felt very like... The way that who directed Sons of the Lambs? It's gone out of my head. Jonathan Demi. Jonathan Demi was like throwing back to Hitchcock, and it felt like Shamlan was throwing back, maybe to Hitchcock as well, but it felt very Sons of the Lambs because of the environment. Okay. Um, yeah. And also because McAvoy's performance at times feels a bit um, Buffalo Bill. Like the, I think there's a character called Barry, yeah. and he's got a rude deep voice, yeah. and, he, and it just felt a little bit Buffalo Bill to me at times. But it's also primal it, fear, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it just had a very surface level of stuff, and and I agree. I think the it was maybe worth seeing for McAvoy's performance, but I thought because situ- he's great, he's amazing. But I thought situationally, it was like a less good version of Ten Cloverfield Lane. Like the one, yeah. the sort of the kidnapped people yeah. who are being held against their and Ten will. Cloverfield Lane is really good. It's really, really good. And and even the so the setup of Ten Cloverfield Lane is that John Goodman has people that he's he's put in his bunker because he says there's been uh, some disastrous thing has happened on the surface. And as we know, Ten Cloverfield Lane started life as a script that wasn't connected to Cloverfield. It's the cellar. Yeah, then it's put into the Cloverfield universe. But it has a twist at the end. Again, spoilers ahoy. 
he's right. He's, he's right. He really <laughs> is, which is a really good twist. Yeah, yeah, but also my dad texted me being like, just saw 10 Cloverfield Lane, best film I've seen in ages, but then it ended. Like, what was that at the end? I was like, yeah, they had to fit it into the Cloverfield. So, so some people hate that ending. Yeah, but I didn't. I actually, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that the Cloverfield thing is, I was just is, shocked is a crowbar. By it. Yeah, I, I genuinely thought, oh, wow. <laughs> they literally, They've fully the, gone for He's it. right. <laughs> so, but okay. And then we get to the end of it and you, you suddenly realise that this character and the Beast are part of a universe in which David Dunn is still carrying on. It's and, such a funny scene in the cafe when you go... This is like that time when there was that guy. What was his name? What do they call him? And then you just get this, Mr. Glass. And I was, and I, so I obviously knew it was coming because yeah. I'd heard all about it. But then in that so scene, you, I just okay, started giggling. Okay. <laughs> so you knew when you saw it that you were watching part two. Yeah, which is interesting because I watched all three of these films this week yeah. knowing that I was watching a trilogy. Okay. Whereas obviously I didn't. you had no clue. Um, no, because it was 16 years difference. 我觉得这个影响是很大的，因为我觉得这个影响是很大的，因为我觉得这个影响是很大的，因为我觉得这个影响是很大的，因为我觉得这个影响是很大的，因为我觉得这个影响是很大的，因为我觉得这个影响是很
terrible. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand why he keeps doing that. <laughs> and, and actually, some of the stuff from Lady in the Water is kind of... All that screenwriting trope stuff that's in Lady in the Water is used again in Glass, but using comic book tropes. Yeah. And everyone's talking about that narrative structure and yeah. things like that. And I don't hate that, but I find it quite distracting. Okay. Um, so in the in the third act, when everyone... So this film wasn't what I sort of expected it to be. Glass. Glass, right, yeah. Fine. So Glass, I suppose, is about um, how David Dunn, uh, I can't remember all the characters' names, Samuel Jackson's character, Mr. Glass. Mr. Glass. And, and James Mendel James McAvoy, uh, the Beast, yeah. uh, all get put in an, asa- an insane asylum and are being saun- seen to by a psychiatrist who is trying to get them out of their delusions of grandeur where they believe that they are superhuman. Maybe this will all make sense if I explain who I am. My name is Dr. Ellie Staple, and I'm a psychiatrist. My work concerns a particular type of delusion of grandeur. It's a growing field. I specialize in those individuals who believe they are superheroes. Good for you. And then she locks them up, and me- most of the film is them in this sort of bottle situation where they're in this insane asylum. Yeah. And then it's sort of set. And I quite like this trope you know, being used that there's a brand new building being opened up in. Um, yeah. Where, where is it set? Philadelphia? Philadelphia, yeah. yeah. So there's a brand new building that's being opened up in Philadelphia. We keep seeing it on the television. We keep seeing that they're building it, adverts. and and they're like, we need to go there because that's where all the cameras will be pointing, and we'll be able to prove to everybody that we are real and we are here. And then they never get there. Okay. okay. And I like that yeah. a lot. Okay. So I think uh, Kevin Wendelcrum. I keep saying James Wendelcrum. Kevin Wendelcrum, because I like you have difficulty remembering the actual names yeah. of the other outside of the horde. Okay. So Glass puts these three characters together in an, in a, in an asylum. They, uh, we are given a certain amount of time for uh, Sarah Paulson's character to basically explain to them that they're not superheroes. There is a suggestion that the whole thing has been set up by one of them in order to get them all in the same room so that this cosmic coming together can be seen. And all the time on the television screens is the place that it is clearly going to happen. That there we are, we're going to... And you said that the third act of Unbreakable becomes the, becomes the least satisfying act because it's the one in which it becomes about him walking through, brushing the characters, the sixth sense thing and yeah. his strength. And the third act of... Uh, of of glass having set it up as the big superhero confrontation which is going to take place at the top of the big tower in big town actually ends up being a punch up in a car park yeah and i just i almost wanted to stand up and applaud because and i so many people i know go i was so, what was all that about he go, it, what what it was about was he didn't do the thing yeah he didn't do the thing which and, are, which and is I like which, that. which is a strange stroke of genius yeah. it's literally a fight in a car park yeah and and but there is a cynicism in me as well that goes, you couldn't afford, afford it. the big fight. You would have done it, because I know I'm Night Shyamalan, and I know that he goes for the big spectacle stuff when he can afford it. So, Do you think that's what happened? I do, I do a little bit, and I also think that the reason for the aesthetic choices of the uh, like looking into the camera and things like that is because they couldn't afford to have all the actors on set all the time. So all that stuff looking down oh, lens. Okay, okay. Like there's a cynicism in me that I can't turn off sometimes where I just go... 
I don't think Bruce Willis oh, okay. wants to be on set all the time, so you've done all these very like stylistic into the camera shots to try and hide that, and it kind of does work. But may- I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was just entirely a, 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 an aesthetic choice, but it felt to me like couldn't afford to do the big fight so he subverted the expectations which okay. i like yeah but then also okay so, to have so, so my, my answer would be this Shyamalan has done some of his best work under difficult circumstances and as we can see from his career the more the more expansive the canvas he was given the sloppier the more indulgent the more rubbish he became and let's make no bones about this he has made some terrible films yes um, like really arrogantly bad films, films that are really big and full of themselves. Oh no, uh, the weather is trying yeah, to kill us. <laughs> oh, produced, <laughs> written, directed, starring, <laughs> edited by. But it's also, you know, something's happening. It's the happening. Yeah, and it consists of people happening, and and yeah, and, it, and awful, 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 awful. However. After the sort of, you know, the sort of the inhalation of breath and going back to working with Blumhouse, you, yeah. know, you know, something I think happened. And it may, it, 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 my argument would be this, even if what happens in glass happens as a result of financial imperative, I don't care. Yeah. Because it makes the film better. I agree. Because, you know, maybe maybe in another world with another budget he would have made a different movie. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he always well, I don't you know, I don't know and I but what I know is that when I saw it, I thought, firstly, this reminds me how much I really liked Unbreakable. And you're right about the third act of Unbreakable. It's the least interesting part. And so I was kind of dreading getting to the end of Glass and it becoming the punch up at the right. top of the tower in which probably one of them will fly. Or do time travel or something. Yeah. And the fact that it actually literally ends up for that unbelievably scrappy non-showdown in a car park. Where, like, even even Samuel L. Jackson's character, Mr. Glass, um, tells Bruce Willis to, to not re- reveal a certain narrative <laughs> element this soon. Because he, in his head, is like, we need to go to the, to the to building the top first, of the tower. And then you can reveal that I was behind it all. Don't tell him yet. Yeah. And I like that stuff. But I think that it really leans into the to the this is what happens in the comic book, so this is what needs to happen. And okay, so I have a couple of problems yeah, with, go ahead. With, with glass. So I and I have a question actually. Okay. Did you ever believe that they weren't really superheroes? Yes. Did you really? Yes. Okay, I have a follow up question then. Okay. Then why did they put them in rooms with such yeah, heavy yeah. security? Yeah. Okay. Why did that ever happen? Like, even even subconsciously, even if you're going, okay, she's just sort of convincing me, sort of like with what she's saying, that why is there only three of them? Delusions of grandeur. Like, but then why are they in such yeah. heavily guarded rooms? Why are they so afraid of them? Okay, because it looked good on camera. I mean, and again, I'll give you another example. In, and I'm sorry to bring it up. Oh, here we go. In Exorcist 3... <laughs> In Exorcist Three, okay, the, um, the 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 character who turns out to be inhabited by the, the, it's the, the, it's in the the reincarnated body of Damien Carris, right, mm-hmm. is in a straitjacket, tied to a cot, in a padded cell that has got a door on it that would stop a nuclear missile down a corridor which has got a code into it that is changed every 24 hours and is monitored by video cameras. And you go, it's just a, it's just an, a, a mad person, right? It's not a mad person with super strength. I mean, I know at the end there's the whole exorcism thing, but all you know about him is it's a mad person, right? Mm-hmm. Why is he in a nuclear bunker? 
The answer is because it looks good. Yeah, but and I, that's a that's a generic convention. Yeah, I know. And but, and, 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 and why? but this is really specific. They've got like specific like yeah, yeah, yeah. so they've got the flashing for for Kevin because it will bring him back yes. rather than yeah. But that's fine because that will work. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is if if the film is trying to convince us that they aren't really superheroes then why every time we see them in their cells are we like, there's a threat that he could maybe get out? Okay, because the, because he doesn't have to be a superhero to get out. He but just, it's a big metal door. Yes, but he but, but the, the suggestion... And he does that, have to be a superhero to get out because no, the Bruce Willis b- bash, bashes down the door because he's got superhuman human strength. Yeah, but the, the thing about the flashing light is to, to, is to stop him becoming the devious character who might actually manage to cut the orderly's throat. It's not that... that, that I mean, I don't think that's set up that we have to flash the light because we think he'll break through the door. Although the thing about breaking through the door is the oh right right it is and that is a re- that is a revelation because because there is i think i mean obviously if you've seen unbreakable you kind of know but there is i think up until that point a question about bruce willis's character mm-hmm. that i think that the that what the movie tries to do is revive i mean i agree it doesn't make any sense right yeah. it makes absolutely no <laughs> yeah, sense yeah, yeah, yeah. nor does the we've got one week to do this really why you're going away yeah you know, so, <laughs> Because <laughs> so, we need a ticking clock element in this exactly. screenplay. So all of that makes no sense at all. Um, but I don't care because I because I just take it as... I mean, it, to be honest with you, Silence of the Lambs makes no sense. In Manhunter, he's in a cell, right? He's in a cell, and when the policeman goes to interview him, he's in a cell, right? In Silence of the Lambs, he's in Castle Dracula. I mean, the, <laughs> he literally these huge gothic walls with the you know the thing short of having laser yeah, beams. But that looks good on camera. Exactly. So it's a it's a film convention. Yeah. And so we, and and it, so that didn't make me think, oh, this is because you're right, it doesn't make any sense. But it so kind that, of makes but that sense was one of the elements okay, that was like fine. why I didn't ever believe that they okay. weren't really That's superheroes. That's perfectly legitimate. Which made me think, I kind of wish they weren't. Were. They weren't. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. They weren't superheroes. I kind of think it would have been braver. For for glass to be revealed that the whole thing has been a delusion of grandeur, but I thought, would have been. But I thought it did dangle that possibility. But the idea that the twist at the end, so the twist at the end of this one is that Mister Glass is also responsible for everything, everything, and he is a super genius. And he actually no, it's not that. It's actually more like destiny that like a. Um, Another passenger was on the same train that David was on when it crashed, and it happened to be Kevin's father. And because of that, Kevin's father, who was trying to save Kevin from abuse from his mother, his mother was was then able to just carry out all the horrible abuse, which thus created this split personality disorder, and in turn, the beast yeah. that was able to protect Kevin. Yeah. Now, okay, yeah. um, I I I'm sort of a bit of a problem with the fact that. Abuse causes a superhero, in a way. That's but you know, tragedy causes superheroes and many other. Yeah, this is very direct. And then the other thing, in turn, that I have a problem with is that from Split, one of the victims starts becoming infatuated with um, James McAvoy, mm. but his true personality, the Kevin personality, because they yeah. feel very similar to each other. Yeah. They're both people that have come from abuse, um, but she was a victim. And, and it's never really properly explored. That Kevin to, is. Well, no, it's never really properly explored that, that she's got like, she, she's, she's got an affection for him now. And yeah, it's like, because, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, quite, it's quite just like there. And it's never really explored how dark of an idea that really is that she started to become connected to him. But isn't, isn't it 
isn't that the point that it's it's just it's there but it they don't have to sit i mean i there isn't a scene when they sit down and do the old really because that's interesting because yeah. and now i you know but don't you think something that huge should be sort of thematically sort of explored at least or at least in subtext that, i thought as it, to why that is such I, a I thought that in an M. Night Shyamalan movie, the right. fact that they didn't sit down and have a conversation about it... <laughs> was a blessing. Was a blessing, <laughs> yes. <you know. laughs> Actually, no, the fact that M. Night Shyamalan didn't come in and yeah. have a conversation about it was a blessing. And again, it's it's that thing about cut to the butt you know it's 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 there it's on the table mm-hmm. and i think some people actually i think might not even you just pass over it but yeah. i mean it is there and it is and i think the whole kevin wendell crumb character actually makes sense in glass in a way that didn't make sense in the horde makes sense in glass in a way that the horde didn't make i think sense that in split although i have yeah okay so i have i do have problems with that idea that the, the abuse thing isn't properly sort of like given no the time no sure of day. no i think that's a um, fair point but it didn't stop my enjoyment when I was watching it, and especially McAvoy's performance in this one. Yeah. Like I think his performance is good in Split, but it's in a not that great of a film yeah. that's sort of like clunkily thrown but together. But in this, he's, he's in the this, star. He is. He, he just he's given one take moments yeah. where literally like the flash will happen and a new personality will come out, or you'll see him just like you'll see one character almost drown in in his body and then another one come out yeah. and it's just fascinating to watch yeah. he's yeah, he, just brilliant he is brilliant he is absolutely brilliant and he is the best thing it almost the- it might be worth watching glass just for his performance yeah. um but I, I think i think yeah even though i say i enjoyed it the thing that i kind of have a problem with um is is because it makes it less interesting it's a less interesting movie now because he's just making a superhero film. Whereas in 2000, we didn't have... We had Batman. We had okay. the Batman movie. Okay, but so you are coming around to the idea that Unbreakable is the smart choice. I think Unbreakable is, out of the three, the smart choice. The smart choice. But, yeah, I, I think Unbreakable starts out exploring some interesting themes. Like I say, the, the, the yeah. idea of the Unbreakable Man not being vulnerable with his family and yeah. going through sort of emotional problems... Yeah, the Unbreakable Man needs to learn to be vulnerable. But then it becomes, no, no, it's a superhero film. And then in Glass, it goes, he's not just he's not just resilient, it's he's got superhuman strength and can, like, smash through yeah. things. Um, and, and the drowning thing as well, like, it never really, you know, when he says, oh, it's your, it's your kryptonite yeah. in, in Unbreakable, it's not, it's, it's he's, he's normal. He's a normal person. Who, who has to breathe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not his okay. It's not that water okay. takes away his powers or anything like that. It's right. yeah. So okay. yeah, yeah, in that, and, and in this one, yeah, I, I, I don't know. You, you know what I'm trying to say? It, it just do, makes all the elements a little bit less okay. interesting. Well, listen, I think we, we have to draw this to a close now. I mean, I think it's, it's it's I've really enjoyed talking about them because partly because they're hard films to talk about because you don't want to spoil it for anybody else, and partly because most people. Have forgotten Unbreakable because mm. it was such a long time ago. Um, I have enjoyed this week watching all three back to back. Like the problems that I have with them, I still had a good time watching each movie. Yeah. Um, it, it, once when Glass finished, I was like, I think I enjoyed that more than all of them. Yeah. And then it sinks in. Okay. And you start thinking about more of the specifics okay. and the storytelling, and you're like, oh, that doesn't really make sense, and that sort of ruins that. But in the moment. I had a really nice yeah. time. I came out of glass and I thought I really enjoyed that. And then about two days later, I saw a couple of reviews and they were like, this is a load of rubbish. It's and done I, really bad critically. It, yeah. And I just think, well, that's I don't it. think it's worth that. 
I don't I, think it's. I think it's great. I really, and I will happily watch it again because I think, I it, there were moments in it when I just went, okay, fine. I've remembered why it is that I liked you. I've remembered why it is that I stood up for the village. I've remembered why it is that there was a moment when people were saying you're a really sharp filmmaker, mm-hmm. and also he's. This is a conversation for another time, but he's the reason that coffee is free in the top of the Universal Building. Yes, Jack. <laughs> thanks ever so much. Thank you very much. See for you again me. soon. Bye bye. Thanks for downloading this Come on Film podcast. Jack will be back in a couple of weeks' time. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe. Thank you, and keep watching the skies. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 